Welcome to the Dead and Married Podcast. Everything is true. God is an astronaut, Oz is over the rainbow, and Midian is where the monsters live. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dead and Buried Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we're going to be talking about Clive Barker's 1990 film, Nightbreed. Written and directed by Clive Barker, based on his short story titled Cabal. On IMDb, this film has a user rating of 6.5 stars out of 10 and a metascore of 40. A travesty. What do you think about the movie? Well, personally, well, you know me, I love all things Clive Barker. I love his art, I love his film, I love his um, his books, and I believe you like his video games, or at least you used to, but for me, this is right up my alley as far as he goes. I know that it's not a popular movie by any means, but I myself will defend it to the death. That being said, what do you think about it? I, I don't know. <laughs> this is a tough one for me because his movies, it's its hard for me to articulate it. And I think a lot of his movies and games and a lot of the stuff that he does, other than his, his artwork, kind of fall into that same category where what's going on in his head, what he visualizes is really hard to put to print, put to video, put in a game, put anywhere. Like exactly. it's hard to get yeah. his vision realized. And I think that's the reason that... And you're going to disagree with me on this because of Doug Bradley, but I think for the most part, that's the reason he has a hard time getting A-list actors, because most of the time he doesn't. He ends up with new people that you've never heard of before, or you've only heard of them because of the movie that they were in, of his. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he probably has never received the funding for his movies that he really needed to make them what he wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. So I agree with one of the reviews on IMDb that um, it's a big vision that was a little bit under-realized. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. And I understand your position completely i mean i'm such a hardcore geek for this stuff like that to me these people are a list for me so i I get what you're saying but at the same time you know i'm just you know me i'm a sucker for anything that doug bradley's in whether it be good whether it be bad if he's present i'm always going to be fully engaged he just gives a certain gravitas and a presence in his work that i feel is kind of unmatched and maybe that's because of his his background as a theater actor but while all of the performances are not great and we'll get into that a little bit um I do hear what you're saying I mean if if they were like for instance his book uh Scarlet Gospels if that were going to get adapted today I can't even imagine what a ridiculous budget they would have to have yeah it'd be tough but I I think it's unfortunate that it's just the nature of horror that that a lot of times the stories don't get the credit that they should Mm -hmm. um they're just kind of pushed off to the side so like in the grand scheme of things Doug Bradley is not an A-list actor he is in the horror community mm-hmm. Kane Hodder's probably considered an A-list actor in the horror community <laughs> they're A-list to me <laughs> but not outside of that uh-huh and you know obviously Craig Schaefer is an actor and I'm not but <laughs> I can also recognize that there are people out there that if you put them in that role it might have carried more weight right I think mm-hmm. and I, I can't believe I'm gonna say this put like a Leonardo DiCaprio or a Brad Pitt or somebody in that role somebody mm-hmm. yeah I, I get what you're somebody. saying I can't necessarily see those you know, guys but yeah I, I'm just throwing names out there <laughs> Liam Neeson <laughs> <laughs> That uh, would be weird. He's got a certain set of skills. Um, <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> but, and, and what else would it have brought to the role? Same thing. 
It's like that in all of Clive Barker's movies. And mm-hmm. again, it's not that they're not good stories. I just think that they, they never get realized because they don't get they don't get the credit that they need. He writes them in the such backing. a huge scope. You know, and it's the same thing with the production companies. You always end up with who? Like New Line or Dimension or somebody like that. Well, And it's not that they don't have their niche, right? They're kind of like the Hammer films back in the day. Like they do these, these horror movies. I wouldn't movies say that for New Line necessarily. I mean, well, they obviously... Happens, I'm just asking you, what happens <laughs> if you get like Fox or Paramount, uh-huh. somebody like that, a big player mm-hmm. involved with one of his movies that's going to provide enough financial backing to bring on a good director mm-hmm. to really cast it and really flesh the story out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we've got some great current directors. I mean, for Robert Eggers or, um, oh gosh, the guy that did Hereditary and the guy who did um, Dr. Sleep. I mean, those guys are great. There's real talent out there right now. So if, if somebody, one of those directors could get this in their hands, there's no telling what they could do. I mean, stuff has advanced so much. I mean, even with a small budget, these guys nowadays can do a lot. Yeah. The problem with these, and, I, and I don't, it's not exclusive to Clive Barker's movies. All you haters out there, this is not picking on <laughs> Clive Barker. But I just think that it's got such cult following, they're, they're doing, what, a third cut now? Oh, no, they've uh, already done it. It's just really hard to get a hold of. So you've got the original, and then you got a director's cut, and then the Cabal cut uh-huh. that's... You can't get your hands on anywhere? No. And I'm sure Believe can, me, I it's tried. going to be ridiculously expensive. But just hear me out on this. I think with the young talent that's out there, and horror movies seem to be making a comeback with movies like Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Psalm franchise is still going. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had some good actors in there. Mm-hmm. Right? They've, yeah. they've been able to get some funding. That's true. I think Nightbreed might be do a reboot. I think that with modern uh. technology based on Clive Barker's vision, he's not dead. You could get him involved in it, bring in some better actors, give it a budget, give it a good director, get a decent damn screenwriter, for God's sake, that can write a script. <laughs> oh, ouch. And do it again. So interesting you brought up the writing. I just learned that Mark Frost ghostwrited for this movie. And if you're looking at me like, who the hell is Mark Frost? Yes, who the hell is Mark Frost? <laughs> Mark Frost is one of the co-creators of Twin Peaks. So when I saw that I was like really that's that's so pretty interesting so well on one <laughs> and so ugh, on well Nightbreed. I mean to be honest I haven't heard anything out of Mark Frost apart from Twin Peaks and I mean we all know the real driving force behind that was uh David Lynch you know be still my heart but it's still you know I mean Mark Frost had a great deal to do with Twin Peaks he wrote novels like one-off novels away from Twin Peaks like the final dossier I mean the guy's he's got a talent so I just in in my own personal opinion do I think it deserves a reboot maybe um I have a hard time with certain things being done like there's Obviously, there's been a lot of remakes that had no business being remade. But if you have something that maybe didn't do as well to start, for instance, Nightbreed, and then, you know, gave it an update where maybe there is a little bit more money thrown out of it. Maybe you do have, uh, I hate to say better writing talent because I adore Clive Barker as a writer. I do. But if you just had somebody come in to like polish it, say, okay, this is what works. This is what doesn't. And, you know, just kind of help him out that would be good i don't necessarily want the parts updated though where they're gonna turn everything into cg you know i I adore those practical effects but the practical effects are so much better now than they were then they could still go practical effects i think they just don't put the effort into it i 100 percent agree potential is there 
Uh-huh. As far as the script goes, I've read Cabal, and it was one of his early works, mm-hmm. and you can tell that it was. I'm not a writer, but I'm an avid reader. I'm a constant <laughs> reader. I've read a whole bunch of Stephen King, and I would say that reading the afterwards and the forewords and the prologues and all the crap from all the books and, and the authors that I have been uh, a fan of, none of them yet have said my very first book is my favorite book. Mm-hmm. All of them acknowledged that they got better as they went along. Well, to be fair, Carrie was Stephen King's first book, and that book is amazing. Okay. It's not necessarily one he lists as his best favorite or most well-written book. I wouldn't know. I'm going to have to ask Renee over at Podmortem what she thinks. (laughs) But I'm saying that most authors, if you ask them what their best book was, they may say that one of their early books was their best idea, but it's usually not the one that they say I did the best job on that one. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, But you could tell that this was a young writer. You could tell he was young when he wrote it. Yeah. Because if you look at most authors as they go along, as they mature as a writer... Everything gets more polished, right? Uh-huh. As they get that experience under their belt, they just get better at their craft. It's like anything else. And if um, I remember right, Clive Barker wrote The Hellbound Heart and Cabal before he made the movies. It yeah. was like a thing like, I want to go ahead and get this out there so people kind of know it and then proceeded to make the movies after. Yeah. I believe that's how he did it. But that, that may mean that it got a little rushed. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying that you would take Clive Barker out of the equation. It's his baby. He needs to be in it. Right. And I'm not saying that somebody should go in and totally change it. What I'm saying is, is that he should be involved in, okay, if you could do it again, this is your chance. What would mm-hmm. you do differently? Right. Yeah. And make I can it, understand. And it would still be his. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are things that he would look back on it and say, if I could do this differently, I would. If I could go back and change it, I would. But for as long as they just keep re-editing the same old shit and throwing it back into a movie and repackaging it and saying, here's a shiny new thing when it's really not. Uh-huh. It's just we gathered up all the shit off the cutting room floor, edited it back in, and here you go. It's not really a a new movie. It's just the old movie again. Well, and there's been talk over the last decade about doing a Nightbreed series. And, I mean, I would totally be here for that. If they could get it into the right hands with the right writers, the right producers, and they just dedicated an episode, you know, to this, or, I mean, a season or two of this (laughs) You're shaking your head at me. Why do you disagree with that? We are doing this by recording, and the people on the other side of the microphone can hear me shaking my head. <laughs> so let me ask you, wasn't there a Nightmare on Elm Street, the series? How did that work out? And wasn't there, wasn't there a Friday the 13th, the series? <laughs> and how did that shit work out? So no, no series. They uh, screw it up every time. Well, I, like I said, whatever they put out, I'm going to be there. Like, I'm first in line, like, nerding out completely. You're going to watch it, but that doesn't mean yes. it's good. So here's the here's the thing why I would say don't do a series. Because they always screw it up, number one. And it's kind of like Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four, as a comic book way, way, way back when, has potential. But mm-hmm. people have screwed it up so many times that now nobody wants to touch it. Mm. So now even though it could have the potential, now you could get some people in there to actually make a good Fantastic Four movie, nobody's going to touch it because it's been labeled as trash. Actually, so I think the MCU often, is fixing to cover that. Well, I hope so. But the more <laughs> often you do something and do it poorly, the less likely it is that anybody's going to want to touch it in the future. Because yeah. they're just going to look back and go, shit, that didn't work out for anybody else. So I'm not going to put my name on it, too. Right. I don't want to be part of that line of garbage movies and TV shows. Yeah. So I would say no. Save the money, get the talent, put them together, remake the movie, do it right. Because, like you said, not every movie needs a reboot. Halloween did not need a reboot. I don't need Rob Zombie to make a Halloween. I don't need Red from Pineapple Express making a Halloween. I don't need anybody else making a Halloween. The first one was good. They did it right the first time. Don't screw it up, right? Right. It's kind of like remaking Nightmare on Elm Street. I've, I've listed those two things twice. <laughs> but same thing. It didn't need to be remade. Mm-hmm. They did it right the first time. Nightbreed is one that you could remake because it didn't see its full potential first right. time around. Okay. Yeah, I, I get your point. I'm just, you know, these are my babies. I'm very protective. <laughs> anyway, with that all being said, let's discuss. 
And now it's time for your obligatory spoiler warning. We don't just spoil movies here, they are spoiled rotten. So listen at your own risk or turn back now. So in today's discussion, we're going to be covering the director's cut. I believe if you're a fan of the movie at this point, most of you have seen the director's cut. But if you haven't, it just gives, it provides a little bit more to the overall story. There's some missing scenes. I mean, this movie's been through a lot with these three versions. People just trying to see this movie all the way through. Um, But yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Travis, what do you think about the overall story? Overall, I think it's a good story. I mean, I like watching it. It's not a good movie. I'm not ever going to tell you but it's a good movie but when I was a kid I liked X-Men and this is kind of like X-Men but with <laughs> monsters so or that movie Little Monsters but you know for grown-ups <laughs> yeah, yeah as, as a matter of fact there's a character in here who looks like kind of like the guy from Little Monsters that's right I don't know if they ever give us his name for sure but he's a little black demon that's got horns he, he kind of looks like Howie Mandel's character except black <laughs> yeah yeah I don't think that yeah Craig Sheffer doesn't look like Fred Savage though <laughs> thank god Fred Savage might have been a viable replacement <laughs> Like, what happens to that kid when he gets older? This was after the Wonder Years. <laughs> They've graduated from peeing in apple juice. <laughs> right. I think it's a good story. From the very beginning of the movie, though, it pretty much establishes Craig Shipper's character, Boone, is he's kind of a bitch. <laughs> he is. He's a whip. Like, he's very wishy-washy, and that just that just persists through the entire movie. He just, I love you. I don't love you. I want you. I don't want you. He just, he can't make up his mind. And I, that is infuriating for a lead character. Yeah, so he's in therapy and all this crap. And then you get David Cronenberg and they introduce him. And I don't know. I didn't know what to think when you told me that David Cronenberg was in this movie. And then I saw it. And I think he makes a very convincing button face, right? Like as a serial killer. Uh-huh character i think he pulls that off pretty well although i don't know what was that him wearing the mask yeah, yeah so totally. yeah he did good there his performance as the what was his name what was the the psychiatrist's name philip decker yeah decker. philip k decker i i think his performance as decker was a little flat mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. i get it it was supposed to come off as like a cold impassive character but yeah he just yeah anyway story. so back to the story as far as the story goes it was you know it's a good story it's hard for me to go beyond that like I'm, I just, it's one of those movies where I just kind of turn my brain off a little bit when I watch it because I'm not expecting to get it. It's not going to change my life. That's what you're supposed to do with film, especially horror films. So maybe I just, <laughs> didn't, maybe I didn't pay attention. <laughs> I don't know. But you know, it's, right. that's what this movie is. It's mm-hmm. the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus sidekicks. You know, he starts off as a wuss and goes through his trials and tribulations and then he gets some and then he's a man. <laughs> um, it kind of goes on to, I would say save the day, except he doesn't save the day. <sighs> I mean, hopefully, they kind of set it up for a sequel that never happened. Right. Um, Disappointing. I think it could have been realized better, but... Okay, so... What do you think? So, to put the story into context, right? We have this guy that's been having these hallucinations and bad dreams, and so he has a therapist to help with it. Only, there's more to his therapist than what he seems. Um, and basically, he's... Our, our, our main character, Aaron Boone, played by Craig Sheffer... He has decided he is enjoying these dreams now. Like, he's wanting to seek out Midian and, at the very least, just see what he's been dreaming about. I don't know if he has any intention at the beginning of the film, but we basically follow him into this... I don't even know what to call it. He, we follow him into this world of just, ugh. I hate to use the word whimsy, but I'm such a nerd. But that's totally what it feels like. It's like it's dark and it's whimsical and it's, um... No, that's fair. It's, it's a fantasy horror. Yeah. And eventually you find out that Philip Decker has been killing families. And there's a really sad scene at the beginning that just, it breaks my heart every time. He goes to this family's house, this family of three, to, wife, 
husband, wife, and a little boy who looks all of four or five years old. And they seem to be a happy family, right? Like the husband and wife are kind of playing around with each other. And, you know, they're not the standard, you know, family from now that's like sitting on opposite sides of the room. They, they seem to be a genuinely happy family. But Decker has to go in and bust this up. And he slaughters the family in very sad fashion. And you can see his shadow looming up on this poor little boy. And he just has these little tears streaming down his face. And it's, it makes me sad every time. I mean, especially as a parent, you just, you know, you hate to see that. <laughs> but so he tries to pin these murders on Aaron and... So real quick, I when I watched this movie, like I wanted to hit David Cronenberg after that first <clears throat> thing. Because I think he really, that little boy really looked scared. I don't know if they told him it was really a movie. That kid was like petrified. Yeah. And I think so those tears sad. were real. Like, I'm going to smack somebody after that. You don't do that to that little kid. He's scared. He probably wet himself. You yeah. leave that kid alone. I mean, you saw button face coming at you? I mean, I'm almost 40, and I think I would pee a little bit. And you know what? I wouldn't put it past them, because I've heard of, you know, directors doing that, where they'd be like, you know, stay away from the kids or whatever, or like intentionally antagonize a, a fellow actor so that on screen it looks real. Right. Like, I mean? uh, like, um, oh, what's his face? Or if you're doing Green Inferno, we're just really going to slaughter some animals. But, yeah. you know, directors are shady. They probably really did scare that poor kid. Yeah, I was thinking of Bill Skarsgård, where they intentionally kept him away from the children mm-hmm. actors. And when he finally comes out, I mean, that poor kid, I think it was uh, Jack Dylan Grazer. I may have that backwards. And he just was, like, terrified looking. But apparently, you know, some of these children actors now, they're able to just flip. And they're like, oh, was that good? Did I perform well enough? And you're like, what the hell? Like... <laughs> So, and then they all need therapy, right? Anyway, sorry. Off topic, but uh, yeah, that 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 just that beginning scene was really sad. But uh, we bring up the character of Narciss, which is probably one of my favorite characters in the whole film. Oh yeah, he's my favorite too. I always like the crazy guy. <laughs> and Boone is in the hospital because he's been drugged and he's kind of I don't know I I don't want to say suicidal, but he he's kind of leaning that way and. I know we're not going to, guys, I'm just going to tell you, we're not discussing this beat per beat. If you've seen the movie, you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. So that that being said, um, he ends up in the hospital and Narciss is wanting so desperately to be one of the night breed. And he tells Boone how to get there. And uh, Boone ends up making his way to Midian. And Decker has led cops over and basically said he's committed these murders. So they end up killing Aaron because Decker says he has a gun. He doesn't really have a gun, but they kill him. And he ends up back in the hospital in the morgue. And we see that he escapes the hospital and ends up back to Midian to become one of the breed. Now, to me, the story... I really, is is it a great story? Is it original story? No, not so much. I mean, we've, we've always kind of played with the idea of, you know, wanting to be different, wanting to be, I mean, you're, you brought it up earlier. This stems back to X-Men, you Everybody know. Everybody wants to be a superhero. <laughs> you have, you have a group of people who have been oppressed and have been driven into hiding out all to keep themselves safe, you know? And I think, I've heard reviewers say that they felt like they went a little heavy-handed with the monster's good, human's bad, but I completely disagree with that. I mean, history has shown us over time that humans are bad. We do fucked up shit, and there's been a lot of people pay the price. I mean, humans are animals sometimes. I agree. Yeah, the worst 
I mean, if you look at it, the worst crimes on the planet weren't committed by animals. They were committed by humans. So, I mean, they can they can complain that it was heavy-handed, but let's be honest. Uh, we as a race are capable of some pretty nasty shit. Yeah, we are. I think maybe they 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 don't like that because it hits too close to home. That was right? my thought, too. Because you, you always want to take credit for the things you do right, but you kind of wish you didn't get the credit for the things you did wrong. Everyone's kinda, the hero in their own story. Yeah, so Clive yeah. Barker really gives us the credit <laughs> for being completely awful sometimes. <laughs> Well, Clive Barker's like me, and we, we sympathize with the monster and, you know, wonder what it would be like to be one of those monsters, be in that world. And with your slashers, I don't feel like you should necessarily root for the killer, although we do, you know, but you're not really supposed to. And Clive Barker has always done this wonderful thing where he asks, he challenges us as the viewer and as a person to to really look inside ourselves and confront those demons i think so for me the story is it's good. You know, I wouldn't say it's just serviceable. I wouldn't say that it's, you know, it's going to win any Oscars. But for somebody who may feel like they're the outcast or it's a story for, for us, I guess. Like I said before, it's a good story. It's solid premise. The, it's got solid bones. Mm-hmm. I, I think they just could have done a better job building on it mm-hmm. for this movie. But yeah, so he, so at this point, Narciss is dead, right? Like he, he cut half his face off. And yeah. Thing mm-hmm. and then, He's an actor, see? What's his name? <laughs> yeah. Crum- He's probably the best actor in this movie. I I'm just love say it. that character. He's he was probably, played by Hugh Ross. He's probably the best actor in the whole movie. Yeah. But then again, like I said, I always go for the crazy guy. You, you know, I don't like Rob Zombie movies, but House of a Thousand Corpses, Bill Mosley, he's the best one. <laughs> right. Well, he's the best them. in all of them, yeah. And, and Sid Haig, the two crazy guys, those yeah. are the best actors. So. Exactly. Um, in this one, yeah, I'm on I'm on Narciss' side. Guy kind of cracks me up, especially when he tells uh, Decker he wants his balls. <laughs> Um, See the I, okay. I always laugh at subtitles when they you know I'm like always who does these because sometimes they're completely accurate and then other times you just have a line at a that just sounds similar but it's you know that's not what they're saying so yeah I I bet it's not a person it's probably Google Translate maybe or something so checks it up but anyway I want his balls <clears throat> and his eyes unless yeah. of course you want them. Yeah. <laughs> So to me, there's some, there's some definitely good acting, like Narciss, for instance, you know, when he's cutting himself up in the hospital, I mean, he's really going for it. And I mean, you really believe that he's ripping his face off. And in, in the short story, he actually ripped all of his skin off, not just there around his face and neck. So that would have been interesting to see, or would that have been like watching Frank all over again? Then you're just watching Hellraiser. <laughs> I don't know. But he does such a tremendous job in acting throughout this movie. He's fun. He can be creepy. You know, I mean, he can be downright hysterical at times. And for me, I know that Boone, uh, Craig Sheffer, he's supposed to be our main character. But for me, he's not. I I mean, for all intents and purposes, the character of Lori, played by Ann Bobby, she, I would say that this is equally her movie. I mean, we get a lot of her point of view trying to go and find Boone and bring him back with her. You know, she doesn't believe he belongs with the monsters. She's a strong character. I'd never say she's weak throughout. And she conveys a strong female lead like she's gonna move heaven and earth to get him back and is she the best actress no but i believe she's sold it enough that she's really really in love with boone and will you know go to the ends of the earth to rescue him and i mean let's be honest she kind of (laughs) does yeah we'll have to agree to disagree as far as her acting goes did she completely sell the unhealthy codependence going on in that relationship yeah did i enjoy her performance not really and and we watched the director's cut and I will say the only thing that she did in this movie that was worse 
than her performance oh. was the singing. It's not her voice. I think it was the song choice. Like, You're going to get so much hate mail for this. <laughs> it was a terrible song. <laughs> the song was awful. Uh, I don't know. I, I find myself singing it sometimes. Okay. <laughs> but if anybody listening to this has heard the song that she was singing, they agree with me. And if they haven't seen it, they're going to go watch it, and they're going to be like, oh my god, who wrote that song, and why would they put it in a movie, ever? Uh, well, I think she did fine. <laughs> Especially but, since that was, you know, a live performance. I actually think she did pretty well. I think if she'd been singing something else, I would be okay with it. Yeah. I think it was a combination of things that made me just cringe and want to fast forward. Yeah. So, we meet a couple of, of other Clive Barker, uh, I don't even know what you call them, buddies, or his entourage, or whatever basically guys that he'd had his had in his theater company the dog company um in england and we get a lot of them kind of peppered throughout this movie um some have been in hellraiser well actually most of them have been in hellraiser but boone comes up on a couple of them really early there's peliquin who's played by oliver parker and if you know who oliver parker is he's one of the men in the moving company in first hellraiser you know helping larry and julia move into their new house and the character Kinski, played by Nicholas Vince, who you also know as Butterball from Hellraiser. Um, we run into them pretty early, and I would say Kinski doesn't do anything really in this movie besides look cool. I mean, because how many moon face monsters do you see? But Peliquin is, I would say, apart from Button Face, he's probably our other main antagonist in this movie, wouldn't you say? Well, I don't know if he's an antagonist so much, but... He is a he, he's like a keystone of the plot. So if he doesn't bite Boone, then the movie's over right there. There's right. nothing else that happens. So he's not. Maybe he begins as an antagonist up to that point, and then after that, he's he's just a character. Yeah. So he's got I don't know thirty seconds of importance there. Where. But we needed Decker and Pelican to move the story on with, without either of them. Then... Well, you didn't. Decker was involved from the very beginning. Right. But in order for the story to go from psycho chasing a guy into to, to, to move into Midian, mm-hmm. in order for that transition to happen, to, to go where the monsters are, Pelican had to bite Boone. So right. I don't know that I'd call him an antagonist, but he's he's a, a very critical plot point. Yeah. He's sort of the gatekeeper into Midian, as it were, for the movie. And he likes meat. He has to have meat. Meat for the beast. <laughs> but I thought they did they did pretty good. I mean, Pelican is, uh, he, he's just kind of the guy who likes to fuck with people. He, he's an asshole. Yeah, he messes with Lori kind of throughout the movie. They kind of have this little side relationship to each other where he antagonizes her. And he did fine. I mean, again, being the nerd that I am, I enjoy Oliver Parker. I was excited to see him in this film. It's, it's always cool to go and pick out your favorite characters from other movies and find them in the next movies they do. And so those little Easter eggs for me are part of the fun of watching this movie. And then we have, you know, our law enforcement that come out, come throughout the story. And there's one particular detective, Detective Joyce, uh, played by Hugh Corshi. I hope I'm saying that right. And he does okay. I feel like his character was a wasted opportunity. Um, I feel like there could have been, you know, more more arcs to some of the characters. And that character, I feel like, you know, if he had... Because he seemed suspicious of Decker right from the start, you know. When they gun Aaron down, he's like looking at him like, was almost like, was this necessary, you know? And so it would have it been good. I feel like it would have made the story more serviceable if he had been starting to investigate Decker from that point. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one. I think it would have made it too complicated. What's the runtime on this movie? 
I just don't think they had time to get into that. It's yeah. a guy chasing a guy who's chasing a guy. At that point, it gets really convoluted and it turns it into a Saw movie. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many moving parts. And I just don't know that the writing could handle that much depth. Right. Does that make sense? Because, uh-huh. like, it's a very, it's very, very straightforward. And if they had suddenly introduced that level of complexity at that juncture in the movie, because you're nearly halfway through it at that point, mm-hmm. I think it would have just lost it. I, I don't... There wasn't enough... They didn't do enough work up front to carry that level of intricacy going forward. Well, it has a runtime of 142 minutes, which is roughly, you know, almost two and a half hours, right? So I guess that already seems kind of long in the tooth for a lot of people to have to sit there, especially for a horror movie, because you're there for the standard 90 minute hack and slash. But it would not hurt my feelings if we had, you know, stories like this that are worth telling, you know? I mean, I'm not going to put it on the level with Lord of the Rings or anything, by no means. But when you have something this, I don't know, the scope of it, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to have maybe three hours or three and a half hours. If you can sit through that for an MCU movie, I mean, especially the latter ones, then why can't you sit through a longer horror movie? I don't know. Maybe it's, it's an attention span thing. The thing is with this one is it doesn't feel that long to me. Mm-hmm. Like for me, the longest part is leading up to this. And then once he gets into Midian, like now I'm engaged, right? Because right? Mm-hmm. I could really care less about his interpersonal problems and his girlfriend issues and he can't <laughs> get it up and his <laughs> therapist is trying to kill him, which I don't think his, his problem was in the movie, but it was in the book. Yes. Right? <laughs> that he needed uh, he needed some Viagra. <laughs> Don't worry, they solved that for him later. But yeah, once it once you get into Midian, like that's when I'm I, I get interested, right? Because you uh-huh. introduce all these new characters, and then it feels like you get so little time in that world. Yes. That when they cut it off, you feel cheated. Right. And, and that's kind of how I felt about this movie is that you get to the end, and yes, it has an ending, more than one, depending on which version you watch. But right. Um, I wasn't ready for that ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for Tony Stark to die. <laughs> I'm not ready. For the movie to be over, because you introduced all these characters and you didn't tell me anything about them. Right. right? There's exactly. this whole, you opened a whole new world. You went from um, interpersonal issues to monsters, and you didn't tell me anything about it. You just so what you're saying is we need an MCU of the Clive Barker universe where we spend time with one character. Hell yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I would totally watch that. Why not? Why not? I just. I don't know. It feels like they made a huge investment. And, and and when you watch the back end of the movie and you get to see all these characters kind of in passing, you know, mm-hmm. some of them, it's an extra wear and makeup. Probably. But there should be a story there. Yes. You should get to spend at least a little bit of time. Give, give them a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, show me what their powers are. Right. right? <laughs> I mean, um, well, not all of them had powers. That was that was kind but, of the point. And, that, and the other thing that, that I don't understand about this, and I know we'll probably talk about it more here in a little bit, but like they went to all the trouble to do all that makeup, all that, all the hours all mm-hmm. of the hours that it must have taken to do the practical effects and the makeup and all the stuff for all these people because there's a ton of monsters in Midian mm-hmm. to just give them like their entire screen time is like a half second as the camera pans by right like it seems like a wasted investment to me but we're talking about the the runtime I've sat through movies that were 90 minutes, some a little bit less, some a little bit more, and by the time it's over, like, thank God. Well, it's like, some of them, it's like, did you really gain anything? Like, I'm going to get I'm gonna get up in the middle of it and go get Coke or popcorn or go to the bathroom and play on my phone for a while because I just, <laughs> I, you, you can't wait for the movie to be over. And when it finally is, you're like, thank God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and thankfully just, I haven't had too many movies like that. For all my criticisms of this movie, this isn't one of them. Well, I, it does make me happy to hear you say that because you're probably going to watch it at least a dozen or more times <laughs> in the probably. course of our marriage. So <laughs> Probably right. <laughs> but yeah, I would watch the Cabal Cut all, what, would they say three, three and a half hours of new, you know, total after the, all the new footage that they've worked so hard to acquire. I would totally sit there for that runtime. I wouldn't care 
in the slightest because I love being immersed in this universe and getting to be a part of this kind of taboo culture and I could be I'd be down for a three and a half hour movie really well I mean so here's the difference is I don't know anything about it so it'd be it'd be totally new to me like I've seen uh, this version of it so depending on what they put in now let's let's go ahead and say that it depends on what's in there right right just add a bunch of you can't just add a bunch of nonsense if they just add a bunch of crap out of the first act I'm not interested right Um, I don't I don't care about him going to therapy but Mm -hmm. if most of what they're editing or adding the the content falls on the back half of the movie Mm -hmm. then I'm in it's no difference to sit through the Hobbit right the difference is is I've read all the Tolkien so I knew what they got wrong when they made the movies mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean like Lord right. of the Rings and stuff and they drag on for a long time right this one there's the books the book is really short right and it's he, like and, three it's like a three hour and, and Barker didn't really flesh it out so I mean if there's something they shot that adds more to the world I'd be in to watch that yeah that's why I said maybe it would benefit from being a TV series because then maybe you could expand upon those characters and get to know them a little bit more you just I mean... gotta stop TV series <laughs> You just got to stop. All right. All right. Sometimes you make a TV series and you end up with like shit, like Supernatural that runs for 25 years. Oh, give me a break. It was a good good show. Okay. Uh, They did the same thing for 25 years. One of them died. The other one brought him back. But that's a whole different review. (laughs) Sometimes you get Supernatural. Sometimes you get Joni Loves Chachi. Right. And I just have a feeling that if they do a TV series on this, on this movie, it's going to turn into the latter. Wasn't Joni Loves Chachi popular though? For what? Two seasons? I don't know. know. Like it's before my time. So it's just, it's, it's, it would be another one of those. And I think we've all seen at least one where they come up with a TV series. They got a good idea. Maybe they nailed on a good cast. They do one season just enough to break you into it and it doesn't get the ratings that they want. So they drop it. Hmm. So they get you primed, and then they take it away. Yeah. And I just think they, I think that's what would happen here. I mean, for instance, one of the characters I would have loved to have spent more time with was Lylesburg, which I feel was completely underutilized. Played by Doug Bradley, who we know as Pinhead. I, I mean, again, I just really feel like he does such a, he has such a presence. He does such a good job that, yeah, I would have liked more time with that character, but we got just kind of him kind of skulking off in the shadows, telling a bunch of rules, and he really didn't have that much to do in the end. You know, even though he wasn't on screen very long, I felt that death. I was sad when his character dies. And I just, you know, I feel like they could have made that more impactful. Even though it hurts me, somebody else is going to be like, I don't know him. So yeah, you're sad because it's Doug Bradley. You're not sad because it's Lylesburg. Right. And that's because they don't give Lylesburg enough screen time. Mm-hmm. He's just the old man telling him they're all going to die. Right. You're doomed. Sort of. Yeah, you're doomed. He throws out some rules, tells him he's going to be judged, and then that's that's really it. He was a confusing character for me because I didn't know it was Doug Bradley. And it, that casting choice baffles me completely. Really? Because if you're going to get Doug Bradley, number one, why would you put so much makeup on him that you can't tell who he is? Because even when he's Pinhead, mm-hmm. you can tell it's Doug Bradley. Mm-hmm. And you sure as hell can tell when it ain't Doug Bradley playing oh, Pinhead. Oh, Jesus Christ. But uh, first you cover him up where you can't tell who he is. And then you have you overdub his dialogue. Oh, that makes me ill. I'm I'm so, so glad that they guess, they fixed that in the director's cut. For me, it's like, well, they only fixed part of it. Because at the end, it's yeah. still somebody else. Like, yeah, they kept it kind of seems from, like that. I mean, do they think that Doug Bradley doesn't have a good enough voice for the movie? Cause I don't the dude, know. And, anyway, but... The thing that confuses me the most is why would you hire an actor like that? Like, again, he's not A-list Hollywood, but he's A-list horror, right? Why would you hire or bring on an actor that, with that level of skill, he's got some serious, like, theater chops, Mm -hmm. 
and give him, what, 30 seconds of screen time? Yeah. Like, I just don't, I don't understand that. Yeah. It's like, we're going to hire Brad Pitt, and he's just going to have a 10-second cameo. Right. Like, what, why? What's yeah. the point? Just grab anybody then. I mean, shit, if that's all you're going to do. Right. Go grab some dude off the street, say, I mean, here's 200 bucks for one day's work, put on some makeup, now go away. Yeah. I mean, it could have well, been. at that point, I mean, yeah, we had Hellraiser already, but it, it hadn't quite taken off yet in popularity. Um... And so I think he was still an unknown kind of then. And I mean, that's what he did with those guys like Oliver Parker and Simon Manford. You know, he just rounded up a bunch of his stage buddies. I mean, they, they never knew that these movies were going to become what they were. So I think, yeah, at that point, Doug Bradley was still kind of new and was just kind of taking whatever work he could get at that time. And thank God, you know, popularity of Hellraiser took off and he was able to really turn that into something for himself. Yeah. But I guess just for me, like by the time I see this movie, he's already pinhead, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember the first time I'm watching so it. So I don't, I don't see it from their end making it with nothing in front of them. I see it from where I'm at now looking back with everything that happened after it included. Uh-huh. And it just seems like a waste to cast somebody like Doug Bradley yeah. and give him a two bit part and I then rem- kill him. Yeah. I remember the first time I watched it, I wasn't aware that that was him, you know, right. Once I found out, I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Think about it like but, this. What if you replaced David Cronenberg with Doug Bradley? I Let don't Doug Bradley know. be the serial killer. I Give don't him know. some screen time, let you see his face. The one thing that Cronenberg does really well with Decker is he has like this weaselly quality about him. And I, I don't see that for Doug Bradley. He doesn't come off as weasel. Not that I'm saying David Cronenberg is a weasel because it's so mean. I love so, I love you, David Cronenberg. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> no. My wife thinks David Cronenberg's a weasel. I do not. I just think that he, he carried that so well. Anyway, well, even if it's not that role, I'm just saying I think he could have been better utilized elsewhere. That's all I'm saying. I don't know about elsewhere, but just give the man a few more scenes at least. You know? At least give him enough screen time to tell me what the purpose is of the eyeballs in his face. <laughs> well, I mean... Like, he... He's got, like, three eyeballs on each side in his cheeks. Yeah. But we... What do they do? <laughs> we get, you know, we're obviously told that he's basically the leader of this group. So why not spend more time trying to understand his reasoning for his rules? And why did he make these rules? And, I mean, that could have all come from Baphomet, for all I know. You but... want him to give us the lore. Yeah, a little bit or more of what his purpose is as a character i guess you know why has he been charged to do this and you know just stuff like that i i just feel like we could have gotten a little more you know a little bit more of a story with him instead of just background character and not which i feel is ultimately a waste of the actor Mm -hmm. i agree so you know we we go through all this stuff of getting boone indoctrinated into this society but we don't spend much time there and Decker is already hot on his trail. Like he knows something's up. He's escaped. And so of course he had to go to Midian. I mean, there's really no other place. So he ends up with a very painful, sad death of an innocent old man. He eventually gets to Midian and he basically just wants to eradicate all of them. And it's never really said why. I mean, he kind of gives a spiel at the beginning of the movie. Um, well, not at the beginning of the movie. But he gives a spiel about, you know, filth creating, filth creating, filth. And he feels like it's his mission in life to clean up, quote, the filth. But like I said, he works his way over eventually. And he ends up getting law enforcement on his side, you know, saying... 
you know, basically blame him for the murders and stuff. And once Decker goes and finds out what the Nightbreed are and what's going on, yeah, he's going to go get him a lynch mob and just basically, I mean, just perform the worst genocide, you know? And yeah, so when he rounds up the posse, am I the only one that thought this could happen in Texas? Is that bad? I live here, so, but he really does. And for something, for a story that's supposed to take place in Canada, that's a very American thing, right? Like they round up the good old boys and the assault (laughs) rifles. And their pickups. And they all jump in their pickups. And yeah, he basically forms a lynch mob to go kill the monsters. I mean, every woman, child, like he, like indiscriminately. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know, that was, it was an interesting choice to me in this movie. Mm -hmm. I've never been to Canada but that does not strike me as the kind of thing that happens up there. Yeah, that's a, it's a little too south. Sorry. <laughs> hey, we we live here. Like, <laughs> I've lived here my whole life. I can yeah, say that. <laughs> I can. Well, yeah. and I split some time in Georgia, so it's still very yeah. south. I you know how it is. Get a bunch of good old boys together, but yes. the pickups drinking and dumb stuff can happen. Yeah. But so <laughs> he really does. He he assembles a mob, basically, just to go eradicate people that he doesn't even know. Yeah, and it's really sad. I mean, again, I was talking about people saying that it's heavy-handed with that message, but, I mean, we do that all the time. We're always afraid of what we don't understand. And People say that those types of betrayals, particularly like this, that they're not fair. Well, let's be fair and look back at human history, and we've done that, exactly that, many, many times mm-hmm. in our recorded history. So it's, I think it's completely fair. Yeah. We, we tend to destroy things that we don't like and things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, it was both. It was something that they didn't understand, so they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So those critics that think it's unfair, they just need to climb down off their horse and uh, and realize that this is, it's it's pretty honest. I mean, and more, than, honest. more than one director's told that start that story. I mean, John Carpenter, Michael Myers, for God's sakes, that's supposed to be, he's supposed to resent the evil. I mean, he's not necessarily a human. I mean, yeah, but... He's ultimately an entity of the evil that men do. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the story that's being told in that situation. David Lynch has done this a hundred times with giving us the white picket setting and then telling us about the belly of the beast that exist in those perfectly polished homes, you know? And I think it's a great story to tell. I never get tired of hearing it because, there, I mean, there's so much horror in our daily lives as it is, you know, that why not go somewhere else and escape and, you know not think about that kind of stuff. But part of this lynch mob is played by Charles Hayde. He's the Captain Eigerman of whatever the Sheerneck police force. And he is the worst of that sort of people, in my opinion. He, this guy is so over the top. He's like Canadian Sergeant Slaughter or <laughs> something. I don't know if any of y'all watched G.I. Joe when you were a kid. I did, but, uh, yeah, he is... I, I'm just going to say it. He is your typical small Texas town sheriff. Like, that's who that is. I'm pretty sure I've met that guy several times in my life. Uh, people exactly like him. So, I don't know. I, I talked a lot of shit about the acting, but the guy, I don't know. I mean, if you want to play a, a dirt bag with power, he did a good job. Yeah. And then we get our drunk tank priest, Ashbury. Oh, he's, I don't understand his character. He's, I don't know. He just comes across as, I don't know, what would you say? I have an issue with his character. And it's not because he's a priest, and it's not because he wears women's underwear, and it's not because he's a drunk. It is because he felt like an afterthought. He feels like an afterthought in the movie, and he felt like an afterthought in the book. Really? I felt like he had a little bit more of a role in the he book. He might have been, yeah. Or story, but I'm still, sorry, not he, a book. He did, but that's, in the in the book, all they expanded on was the fact that he likes wearing women's underwear. That's that's true. That's fair. So, <laughs> it's like, 
the whole story, both in the book and in the movie, the whole thing could have happened without it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like they dropped a character in somewhere after the midpoint and tried to assign them importance and then didn't give them anything. Yeah. We're going to bring this person up. We're going to give them a name. We're going to give them speaking parts. And they have zero effect on the end of this movie. Well, that, I guess that was my thing. Was like, why did Igerman feel like he needed a priest there in the first place? I mean, was, was he planning on well, like reading says, the last rites? <laughs> he says, we're going to go in with God on our side. Yeah. And okay. Then, and, but then they get there and the priest doesn't do anything. So the only, the only way that this, it would have made sense for me to have the priest in there is that at the end of the director's cut that we watched, there's that whole scene with him and Igerman where he kills him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to go find him and burn him mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to burn him off because the, they burned him. Mm-hmm. And again, setting it up seems like, feels like a sequel. Yeah. Right? Because like in the theatrical be a... cut, his character's very dead. There's, yeah. he has nothing. Yeah, he's, he's dead. Yeah, it feels like they're setting it up for a sequel. So if they had popped him in where they did, you know, introduce this character, carry him to the end, give him that speaking part. And then there's another movie where he's the antagonist because at the end of the movie, that's kind of where it leaves him. Right. Then it makes sense. But as a standalone movie, you get a character who does nothing. He's got like the last speaking part nearly in the movie. And you're like, I, I don't know who that guy is. Like, why? <laughs> why him? Why not Cronenberg? Why not Igerman? He could have just as easily been the one walk up, kill somebody else. It wouldn't matter. But at least then it's somebody you've had some time with. I just, again, it just felt forced yeah the whole the whole priest thing felt forced yeah it's like we needed to introduce religion just for the sake of introducing religion well i mean if you want to go technical and i know that you've read the bible before and stuff midian's supposed to be the town where moses was right where he saw the burning bush i'm not as versed on it as you are but i did recall reading that somewhere but i guess there's some connotations there i mean they have the scene where babette this little uh, nightbreed, this little girl that Lori's character saved, and she basically gives her a vision of what the nightbreed have gone through in their history. And there felt like some big religious undertones there as far as some of the nightbreed were crucified. And I mean, I, I guess to be fair, you could say it's like any other genocide throughout our history, but there did feel like there was some in biblical the undertones. It made it kind of look like it was part of the Crusades. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But I mean, Salem Witch Trials, I mean, which I know is not biblical, but it, it just felt very, you know, reminiscent of those stories. Um, probably, yeah, I guess probably didn't need that, but it wouldn't be Clive Barker if it didn't have religious undertones. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, it just, it felt unnecessary yeah. to me. And he's just weird, you know? I don't know what it is about him. The actor, maybe? Maybe, maybe he just his thong was right enough. <laughs> No, I mean, he just seemed very, like, he didn't know where he was, I guess. Like, he played it very, uh, you know, in space. It was, it was just, it's very weird. I yeah, just, it, it was an awkward It was a choice. It was a choice. So, when the good old boys all show up there admitting these guys came loaded for bear. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, it shows them kind of gearing up there at the sheriff's office, and they've got an armory. Like, that's a legit armory. They've mm-hmm. got... Uh, military-grade weapons. And then we get out there, and they're walking through, and one of the guys almost gets a tripwire. And, like, they said, claymores? What law enforcement agency (laughs) has claymores? The ones that had to deal with Rambo? Like, these guys, (laughs) they're running debt cord, and they got hand grenades, and I don't know. Like, this is... They were were serious. They were afraid, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Afraid of what was out there. So this is society fearing something and then destroying it with lots of explosives. (laughs) So they... uh, they wired up the whole place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, they just start killing everybody. 
Right. Um, it's not it, it, totally indiscriminate. It doesn't matter if the Midianite is peaceful or running away or trying to hide. They kill every person, every monster they come across, children mm-hmm. included. Yeah. It's a wholesale slaughter. Yeah, so as critical as I've been of the, the writing itself, the screenwriting and all that stuff in this movie, this is actually a pretty good depiction of people destroying something they don't understand. I heard other criticisms that, you know, these we're supposed to feel sorry for the monsters and yet they're killing right along with everybody else. But what are they going to do? You know, they can't just sit by and let them get, let themselves get destroyed and be like, oh, well, okay, you know, why not fight back? And yeah, they take some glee in it, but if somebody was trying to destroy my home, I think I would be too. Well, but it was only a few of them that jumped in from the beginning um, and actually acted like they enjoyed it. The rest of them, Boone had to talk them into it. Yeah. You know, he had to go down there and he was arguing with Lylesburg about it and uh, about letting the berserkers loose. Yeah. Uh, but he was trying to rally them up. And, and even then, most I, of them seemed to be pretty content to hide. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, some of them have powers or abilities or whatever, but for the most part, they don't all seem to share that. You know, it's only some have these abilities, not all of them. It seemed like they had to work up to it almost. Like it was a thing that was given with their maturity or something like that. But yeah, they were just normal. I mean, I can't say people, you know, because they're shapeshifters, but you know, women, women, children, I mean. Well, the thing is, is that we can't assume that just because they lived in Midian and they had some form of, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say deformity, but some of them, that's, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had a, some, some kind of physical thing going on with them. Doesn't automatically mean that that gave them some sort of special power or offensive capability. Right. Um, it just means that they were different. Yeah. There was only a handful of them there that they're, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I want to say their condition. Mm-hmm. Like Pelican, he, he could shape shift in the book. It doesn't really show it in the movie, but you know, he had sharp teeth and claws and mm-hmm. <clears throat> his gifts, maybe called gifts. Yeah. Um, gave him an offensive capability. And what's that? Shoot, shoot, Nasazi, the porcupine lady. Yeah. Like she could shoot her quills up, but this is not, I referenced X-Men in it a couple of times, but it's not exactly like X-Men where they got special powers where they can all go do something wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these people, it's, it's just, it's just that it, it could be, like a physical disability, really. Mm-hmm. In, in some instances, it looks like it, it's it's a disability, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily an asset to them. So yeah. some of them are not really suited at all. Yeah, uh, and Ashbury, Ashbury finally kind of steps up and says, "Hey, you're doing is wrong. You're, you know, there's women, there's children. I know I've said that a few times already, but you know that was really to drive the point home that." You know, they're they're not all monsters, you know? Just because they're different does not mean that they're a threat. Exactly. I mean, human beings are the same way, you know? For every 10 normal people, there's a psychopath or whatever that is. But, yeah, we do the same thing as a human society. Not not everybody's a killer, obviously. No, and just because somebody's different does not make them a threat. Right. But that doesn't stop these guys. They're, they're dedicated to the complete eradication of everyone in Midian. Yeah. And they're almost successful but Boone convinces Lousberg to let the what do you call them the, the berserkers, berserkers let yeah. the berserkers loose mm-hmm. and we got a brief history of them but they were like Nazi experiments or something like that for the war but then they couldn't tell friend from foe was that one of the documentaries i watched maybe I don't know. but <laughs> It's been a while since I read anyway, the story. <clears throat> they had to be uh, separated and locked up because they basically would kill anything that moves. Mm-hmm. He convinced Lalsberg to let him go, but then Lalsberg gets killed before yes. he can let him go. Hate that scene. It is so really Boone cool that when his eyes it. open up. <laughs> and so there's there's two different versions of the movie that are currently available to us. There's, you get your original and then the director's cut. And in, I think it's the original. Boone opens the door. He's like, "Go get them, boys." Oh, I hate that line. <laughs> and it's so stupid. It's corny. Oh man, it's so dumb. <laughs> 
So in this one, it's more like he opens the door, they come out, and he's all, run for your life! Yeah, he doesn't actually say that, but he has to get away from them because they just attack him. Because in this, they actually stay true to that whole, they don't discern friend from foe, they just kill everything that moves. Right. Although I don't recall them seeing any of the Nightbreed. Did you? I mean, it mostly looked like they were just after them They were just attacking it. Yeah. Like I said, I don't remember if that was some backstory stuff that mm-hmm. I saw on YouTube or whatever, but mm-hmm. that they were they were the result of an experiment way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Nightbreed kind of took them in, but they had to lock them up right. for their own safety. And I guess that's my other problem that I have with the story is there's, there's so, it raises so many questions, you know? It's like most of the Nightbreed are born like this. They're a breed. But then Baphomet also has this weird, um, like, baptizing water or something. And it's called the blood of Baphomet. Yeah. And he, you can essentially just make a nightbreed, or at least that's what well, I took from and it. And Peliquin's bite made Boone. Exactly. Yeah. It was part of their prophecy. So um, they can be created all sorts of ways, yeah. I, I guess. And I this is another issue I have with the story. It's, I, I want, I need Clive Barker to finish it. I need him to flesh this out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I need him to finish the story. Mm-hmm. And he may feel like it is finished. But again, and maybe it's just the movie. But even in the book, it, it, it raises more questions than it answers a lot like this. Well, I think a lot of that had to do with studio interference, too. Because I, I, I can only imagine... Well, but in the book, he introduces a lot of characters that you don't really get much time with. That's true. That's true. But, but I mean, it is a short story, so... It is a short story. And so, I... But, yeah, we're kind of back to that. I, I feel like they need to, they need to do it again, mm-hmm. do it all the way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so the Berserkers pretty much win it for them, but they take some heavy, heavy, heavy casualties. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a few of the Nightbreed that actually escape. Oh, just a handful, but it seems like. there's a lot of that sheriff's posse that don't escape too. Right. And neither does Decker. Yeah. Decker doesn't escape either. He finally gets his comeuppance. Yeah, he uh, finally has the showdown with Boone, and since Boone has gotten some now... <laughs> oh yeah, after he got laid, now he's like manly. <laughs> yeah, now he's like this, you know, John Cotter, Connor of Midian. Yeah, he is. Like, okay, I, I just don't, I don't remember it being written this way in the book, but I found it kind of interesting, like, Decker stabs Boone through the back with a, it's not a machete. Right, it's not shaped correctly No, it's a, it's a, a knife really... that they used to um, cut off limbs back in the day. Why would you know that? Because I read it. Anyway. <laughs> so he stabs him through the back and the, you know the, the end of the blade sticking out his front. And somehow he's got a playing card. <laughs> yeah. This this giant knife has impaled him and he has a playing card stuck to his chest because the blade went through the playing card. It's the Ace of Hearts. Like, I had to slow it down and look. But why would you do that? Why was that? Like, was that an accident? Like, did he, like, lay down to take a break and when he got up it was stuck there and they just didn't take it off? I don't know. <laughs> so Boone gets sort of his revenge, I guess. Yeah. On Decker and kills him. And the priest gets splashed in the face, the blood of Baphomet. Yes. And it kind of turns him into a night breed. We're not... I don't know. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm not really clear on that. Is he Nightbreed now? Is he immortal? Um, is he just disfigured and out for revenge at this point? Like I don't know. But it's it's interesting in that it seems like everyone else who's been made Nightbreed, they you know they <clears throat> they're welcomed into the fam into that family and they want to be a part of it. Uh huh. He gets splashed with this stuff. He has you know his head's kind of deformed, but he wants no part of it. Like he's he's angry. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's when he, he's actually the one that kills the sheriff, and then he, he wants to go burn them all. So I just had this really weird brain fart happen. How did Narciss get to Midian? I mean, think about that for a minute. He's in the hospital. He cuts his skin off. Mm-hmm. Decker kills him. Yeah, but how does he end up in Midian? He was dead. Like, he was really dead. So that's that's another plot hole, I guess, is like, how did he get there? Did he just fly out of the... Yeah, okay, that just occurred to me. 
that when Boone was laying dead in the morgue too, and then his body just kind of disappeared and flew. So I, I guess the same could be said for Narcissus. I feel totally dumb now, but did it fly? I don't, I don't know. Say anything about his body flying? <laughs> Pretty sure he just got up and walked. Right. Mate, well, the window was broken in the hospital room. Yeah. And I don't know that you necessarily know what floor it's on, but to me, it gave the impression that he flew somehow. Or he just jumped. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but. He's already dead. He can't die again. So, either way, they both ended up there. My, my point so. was, is I have more questions than I have answers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to the end of the movie, and I guess they have they took Baphomet apart and smuggled him out of there. Yeah. And they were hiding in a barn. I thought and, they left him so there. It's, it's part of the prophecy that Boone's got to find him a new home. And that was, uh, in the director's cut anyway, Baphomet charges him with that, that quest to yeah. find him a new home. So, and uh, if you're reading the story, it's uh, it's a lot more graphic. It's going to involve some body fluids, but we won't get into that. But let's just say, book to book to movie, there's some severe differences in the ending of that story. They were a lot less graphic. Um, <laughs> there's a certain jail scene, too, that's a lot less graphic. There were parts of this that it would have been a porno if, right. if they had shot it the way it was written. So yeah. Clive, is, he's, an, he's an inventive guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, but at the end of the director's cut, the Dick Sheriff's dead, Mm -hmm. Decker's dead, most of the Nightbreed are dead. Yeah, including Narciss. That made me so sad. Including Narciss. The priest is, well, because Decker killed him and beheaded him. Yeah, boo. And so Decker and, or not Decker, Boone and his girlfriend are left, and a handful of Nightbreed that are hiding in a barn. And in this one, Boone turns his girlfriend into Nightbreed. She tries to, like, stab herself, and uh, he turns her. So now they're, they're together forever. So she finally, that was sort of the end of her quest, in that they get to be together forever. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I I like her character particularly more in the book, I think. Um, they go more into detail about who she is and why she feels the way she does. Like, for instance, you have a cute little actress playing Lori in Nightbreed, but in the book, they describe her as being more plain, more... I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but she's just not nothing special, she says. You know, she's not really all that attractive. But apparently Boone is like God's gift to women. Oh, and Boone is supposed to be like an Adonis in this thing. Yeah. According to the writing. I don't and know why so... they pick Craig Schaefer. <laughs> oh, you leave Craig Schaefer alone. But uh, she is she can't believe her, her good luck that she has landed somebody like this. And so she becomes obsessed with him. She becomes codependent with him. And, but as you're going through the story, at least the book version, she becomes stronger throughout this, this process and, and feels like, okay, maybe I don't look the way he does, but I am tough. I'm capable. And like I said, it, I would say that she saves him. Like she's the final girl of this movie. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I just, her ending disappointed me, I guess. Because everything that she went through up to that point and and right up there at the end when when she's talking to him she's like fine go then mm-hmm. and you're thinking yeah girl take it back right there you go <laughs> you don't need this emotionally stunted immature monster man like <laughs> he don't even know what he wants right kick him to the curb go find somebody else and so you think she's made it and then when he turns to walk off she stabs herself she's like i can't live without you so she basically oh God, undid girl, everything. What did you do? Yeah. Like you just undid everything that you had, all the groundwork you laid to be independent. She went on Kristen Stewart. And then, yeah, <laughs> completely. I don't know what that means, but I agree. You know, the, I can't live without you. Oh yeah, she went full Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I love you. You're my husband. <clears throat> but, you know, sometimes women don't need to be saved. They don't. You know? Well, and I think that's kind of the thing is that by the end of the movie, she did that. And I was like, damn it, I expected more from you. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just let him go. Yeah. It ain't worth it. 
but but alas, he bites her and turns her, and they're basically on this quest now to find... A new home. Yeah. For the Midianites. Midianites. Midianites? Yeah, that's what I I was just wondering. And and then in the story, he he does a thing to Boone, because, you know, throughout this film, he's been able to change, he's been able to shapeshift, sort of. It's not really a shapeshift so much as it's just he gets this weird scarring on his face that glows. I I don't know what you would call that. Um, But he is given an ability that he, I guess he won't turn into this form anymore, at least among the humans, so that he can move freely around to go find their next place to live. Well, and he could already go out during the day. Their new Asgard. He, he was already the daywalker, and of course some of the other ones were too. Um, it said not all of them, right? Yeah. Some of them mm-hmm. could go out during the day and some of them couldn't, but he was already a daywalker, so I guess now he just Baphomet unfucked his face so he could hulk out and still look like a normal guy. Mm-hmm. But but that was it. That's the end of the movie, and that's that's kind of where they leave you hanging, because you know you still Boone still needs to find him a new home, and where'd the priest go? And you ready for the sequel that never happened? Yeah, and I just want to address something else that bugs the shit out of me, and that's that I do actually like the theatrical ending to this movie. Um, apparently, um, the ending that they had before, or the the theatrical ending, people hated it. And so when they did this director's cut, they used an alternate ending that they had had. Um, if you know the theatrical ending, you know that Decker has been killed. Boone has killed him. And Ashbury goes and he puts some of that baptizing juice through his stomach, what, which was actually an homage to Cronenberg's Videodrome. So that was pretty cool. But he ends up turning Decker into the breed. You know, I mean, he may just be button face now or something at this point. I don't know. But he looks like he's his body's crucified. And so he sticks him with this Jesus juice or whatever you call it. And he comes he comes to and, and he's not talking or speaking. He's like roaring and kind of flailing around as he's up. And Ashbury's bowing to him on the ground saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I thought that was fucking creepy. Like what a fucking way to end a movie, you know? You, you want that kind of ominous thing at the end, or at least I do. I'm not a big fan of happy endings, but I actually really like that ending in people don't. Well, the benefit to that ending is that it was an ending, uh-huh. right? Like I could walk away from that and feel okay with it. Well, it's still a cliffhanger. I don't know, but it, it's a cliffhanger I could live with. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. They don't ask a bunch of questions and, and then the director's cut, they leave you hanging on a lot of different, lot, yeah. there, there's a, a lot of loose ends at the mm-hmm. end of the director's cut. So I like the director's cut, I think better than the original. Mm-hmm. I, I like do. the ending to the original theatrical yes. version better. Yes, I Simply because it doesn't leave so much unanswered crap. Well, because I just I felt like that ending with Ashbury just <laughs> saying he's just going to go on and kill them all on his own and killing Eisenberg, it, it, to me it's not as powerful. That's like, okay, well, we'll see, right? Well, with the priest, it's like, who the hell are you? You've been here ten minutes. Yeah. Shut up. Sit down. But the idea of Buttonface becoming this monster and, you know, that's a that's an ending that you're like, oh shit, you know, what's he going to do? Where's this going to go? Well, and Buttonface would be a, a credible threat. Yeah. For him to now be Nightbreed. Yeah, because he was already evil as shit to begin with. Yeah, he was already a threat. Yeah, so, yeah. But the, the priest is like, yeah, you're, you're minor league. Yeah. <laughs> Go home. So on that note, what did you love? What did you hate? Um, Narciss. <laughs> Narciss was cool. Yeah. I liked the whole, uh, the monsters concept again. Like, it's like X-Men, but with monsters. Uh-huh. I, I just wish they'd done more with it. I think that's it. I think those, those are going to be the two. Like, if I'm going to pick two things that I, I like about it, mm-hmm. those are going to be the things that I like. What I hate about it is the unanswered questions mm-hmm. that they give you, and I really don't feel like you get enough time in the median world. Mm-hmm. It's not a deal breaker, you know what I mean? Obviously.
obviously, because I'm still going to watch the movie, but mm-hmm. I just feel like you get shortchanged. They shorted the audience by not fleshing that out more. I think we spent too much time on Boone's story on the front side. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things, like her singing in the club that they added in the director's cut mm-hmm. that didn't need to be there. Right. I can agree with that. Give me that five minutes back. Tell me she's a nightclub singer and move on. Mm-hmm. Give me that five minutes back. Put that five minutes at the end. Give me some time with the people in Midian mm-hmm. to tell me who they are. Give me some history. Tell, tell me about Lylesburg and what his actual role is other than saying, well, he's the leader. And then nobody listens to him. Right. Because right? through the mm-hmm. whole movie, every time they talk about Lylesburg, they go, yep, he says no. And then they go do it anyway. So, right. Exactly. No respect. Um, so that'd be it. There's some of it that I'm, I'm just sort of indifferent to. I bitched a lot about the acting, but I guess I've seen the movie enough times that it doesn't bother me enough for it to... To say that it's something that I hate, I think it's just something I expect from movies of that era, maybe. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, not there, there, there were a lot of horror movies in the 90s, that, or in the early 90s, right? This came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. It didn't feature the best actors and actresses in the world, but that's not that's not a deal breaker for me. One thing that, that I will say that I didn't care for, I guess, not a hate, we talked a little bit offline about the score, and you love it, and I didn't know that there was one. <laughs> So makes me so sad. I think that uh, I don't. Know, I think score can add a lot, and so I don't know. Maybe it should have just been more. Maybe it's like an undercurrent. The music's there, and I just didn't notice it. I, I don't know, but it just didn't stick out to me. One thing that I know a lot of people complained about that I don't have a problem with at all is that I guess Midian were it was matte paintings mm-hmm. instead of a set, mm-hmm. an actual location. I, I I don't care. Those are some damn good matte paintings. It, yeah, I'll hang right? those up in my house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You will know, be like, oh, it's this badass Midian poster in my living or a painting in my living room, not poster. Yeah. I mean, they were good paintings. It didn't take anything away from it. It's I don't not, feel like it. You know, now, nowadays, yes, they would go build the cemetery, right? Yeah. Out of plywood and silly putty. Right. But then they, they couldn't do that. And I'm sure they didn't have the budget for it. No. So no. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It would be really cool. Yeah. Right? Because like in Hellboy, they kind of did it. Mm-hmm. Del Toro, they had like that that whole cemetery scene, right, with the mausoleums and mm-hmm. stuff. And so I think they could have done that, or maybe they could have found a location to shoot it somewhere like. Well, no. Well, I mean, gonna, nobody's tell me in you, the whole. Nobody's gonna let you film inside a cemetery, right? Um, but you mean to tell me, and you know, the the wild of Canada. I mean, because it's got some beautiful landscapes that they couldn't find a location and just set up some tombstones. I don't know. Here's the thing: if if you don't have the budget to do that. To build the mausoleums, because the mausoleums are what made Midian, right? Even yeah. if it's a matte painting, you know, having the big round wall around it. Yeah. If you can't do it and make it look good, then it's it's gonna look it's gonna come off terrible on film. And it, it's kind of like practical effects. Practical effects are either done really well on film, mm-hmm. or they're awful. Or you get burn birdemic. <laughs> yeah. So you're either getting something really awesome, or you get Power Rangers. Right. So if they didn't feel like they could pull off the uh, the practical effects and the, the set building to really do it justice, then it's probably best that they didn't try because mm-hmm. they could have really ruined the effect. And it's really only the horrible. remastering, you know, and the better picture that made you even be able to tell now. I yeah, mean, I didn't know it until somebody said something about it, and then we rewatched the director's cut yeah. on HDTV. And now I can see it. Yep, that's a painting. Yeah. But, but I mean, in, on VHS, you're not gonna you know, know. laser disc. I mean, you're not going to be able to tell that that's a matte painting, and who gives a shit? It doesn't change anything. Exactly. It change the it's movie. It's a, it's a, it's a bitch. It's a nitpick. Yeah, but I guess that's kind of it for me. I, I just, I'll watch it. I'll watch the movie. Um, every time you say, "Hey, let's watch this," I'm going to watch it, and at the end, I'll still, I'll feel cheated every time. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I. How was, about you? I always get a sense of fulfillment watching it personally, but I know I've had a few bitches along the way too, and it's it's nitpicky stuff. But I absolutely adore this movie. I love everything about it. You 
you brought up the score. I actually really love that score. Um, I think that it brings some some whimsy and foreboding. Just, I don't know. For me, I kind of feel like I know what I'm getting myself into. And I personally love Danny Elfman's music, no matter what it's on. You know, some he's created some of the most iconic scores in history. That was Danny Elfman? Yeah. Wow. Maybe next time you'll pay attention, huh? I'm going to have to actually, <laughs> I didn't, I said I never even noticed the score. For me, all. I mean, the music at the title card is, is, is epic, you know? I, like I said, you, you kind of feel like you know what you're getting yourself into. You're going to get go on this wild, fantastical ride. And I felt like that score was conveyed very well throughout. Yeah, so clearly I just didn't pay attention <laughs> at all. But can't say that there's too much stuff that I hate about this movie. Were there things that could have been done better? Sure. Were there some weird acting choices? Absolutely. But overall, I love this story, you know? I, I want to be with these characters. I mean, I always lean toward the dark, you know? That's that's how I am. So I just felt like it did a great job of, you know, making you root for these underdogs and really, you know, I just wish there... If, if there is one hate that I have, it's that we didn't get to spend enough time with some of the characters. Because, I mean, to me, Buttonface is iconic. You know, I'm sure a lot of people obviously don't feel that way. You know, you got your big three that are what's considered iconic. But Buttonface to me was terrifying. And Cronenberg playing him was eerie and chilling and, you know. But I love I love it overall. I can't really give much hate for it. I, I'll, I'll watch it over and over and over. And I'll watch anything that spins off from it. So, yep. So, as we've, as we've said before, we don't really score movies because um, that's something that everybody does. I just we, we kind of decided that it's just, just watch it or don't, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how that's going to be our rating system: watch it or skip it. Yeah. So I, I'd say watch it if you've never seen it, give it a watch. If you've seen it before and it's been a long time, watch it again. Um, if you saw the theatrical version, watch the director's cut. Hell, watch them both. It's not a bad time, and it's not something that's so gory that it's going to put most people off, because there's really not a... There's, there's some weird imagery, but that's There's some it. strange images in it. There's not a ton of blood and guts. Um, actually, really, no guts. It's just a little bit of blood here and there, but it's nothing bad. I give it a watch. Yeah, and if they'll somebody call Clive Barker, tell him to do it again, <laughs> get a better director, get... get, get. God, stop saying director. He did fine. He oh, did was he fine. the director? He's the director. Oh, God. Okay. Well, <laughs> find a good studio, have him throw some serious money at it. And find make a better this writer, thing, maybe. And make this thing what he wanted it to be the first time. Right. Like, his, his vision fully realized. It's not realized. a criticism against Clive. I feel like I'm, I'm backtracking here. It's not a criticism against him. I think he had a good vision. He just didn't get it realized probably the way he wanted to. Right. So I think they should do a remake. That's my... If, I was gonna, if I'm going to throw a rock, that's it. Do a remake. But watch it. And watch it even if they don't do a remake. <laughs> Unless they do a TV series and then skip that damn thing. They're going to fuck it up. <laughs> and, of course, if we've heard anything, that's also my opinion. It's a solid watch. Hell, it's a buy it for me. You know, if you watch it and you love it as much as I do, buy it. One of these days you'll end up doing like I'm doing, stalking eBay to see if the Cabal Cut is available for purchase. <laughs> but definitely give it a watch. That's my opinion. Well, guys, we hope you had a fun time hanging out with us today talking about Nightbreed. Before we go, I want to give my content creator shout out of the week. And this week, there's actually going to be two. There are a couple of YouTube channels. One is called Mr. H, M-R, period, H. And there's also Marvelous Videos. Look them up because they have done so much expansive research on the Hellraiser and Nightbreed lore, um, everything that's come between 
between those things and brought those two mediums together. These guys have done their homework and they're really, really good at it. They're very informative, very interesting, and in my opinion, very entertaining. So definitely, if you're on YouTube, check these guys out. All right, guys, that's all from us for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. You're going to have to check us out next week. Uh, we're going to be doing Wishmaster, not just number one, but one through four. That's right. <laughs> it's a quadruple threat. We're going to do all four movies in one go. So episode may run a little long, but Ashley and I talked about it, and I just, I think we agreed, right, that we can't see devoting an entire episode to each movie. Right. They're, they're a fun watch. They're worth talking about, though, all of them. We yeah. just don't want to dedicate an episode each. <laughs> but there's not enough content there to do one episode for each movie. So right. we're going to cram them all together and see how it comes out. So that's it for me. We'll talk to you later. Bye, guys. You have been listening to the Golden Mirror Podcast. Ten dollars was.